0: Happy New Year, everybody. It's what a joy to be together. Wow, what a great day. Even on a a rainy Sunday, um, it is so good to have you all here. Today, I want to follow up my sermon from last Sunday. And last Sunday's sermon was called Jesus' Expectations. And so today, it's Jesus' Expectation Part 2. Last Sunday, we read from Matthew chapter 6. And we looked at the expectation Jesus has of us, especially as in regards to prayer. And in, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, Jesus uses this word, when you, which is the word of expectation. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And, and then, he, he not only expects us to do those things, But in the instructions that Jesus gives, he also calls us to do it well. It's just not go do it any way you want. But when you pray, he follows up with those words, when you, with these words, do not. So there's an expectation of when you pray, there's a way not to do it. Instead, do it this way when you give it's the same thing and when you fast and and so last week uh, Jenny Tripto was so kind to read the verses for us. I invited her to come back again Jenny would you come and read for us again Matthew chapter six verses one through eighteen
1: all right here we go again <laughs> Matthew chapter six be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you, fa- when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be Thank you, Jenny. You can give her a hand because it's not easy
0: to read Scripture and uh, do it so well. Thank you, Jenny. Did you hear... In the word that was read to you, the expectations that Jesus gives to us about when we give and when we pray and when we fast. Because with every when you was followed up by a do not. When you give, don't do it this way. Instead, do it this way. When you pray, don't, don't do it like The hypocrites or the pagans. Instead, do it this way. And when you fast, don't disfigure your face. And, 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 you know, everyone can give, everyone can pray, and everyone can fast. But not everyone does it well. And Jesus is concerned about how we do the things that we do. And our focus will be on prayer, so I want to really drill down and talk about praying well. And as we do, Jesus highlights two kinds of people, how we ought not to pray like the hypocrites and the pagans. And Jesus says, don't be like them. So let's take a look at what Jesus means by don't be like the hypocrites and don't be like the pagans. A hypocrite, the way Jesus uses it in scripture here, he's kind of referring to an actor or a person who is a pretender, right? It's not who they really are, but they're acting and portraying a role or pretending to be something that they're not. Which is how we see the word as a hypocrite today, right? Hypocrites today are people that say one thing but, but do something different and we say, oh, they're a hypocrite. The heart of Jesus' message, really, is found in verse 1 of chapter 6. And in verse 1, Jesus says these words, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That's really at the heart of what Jesus is talking about here, especially when he's talking about don't be like hypocrites. Because if you give, Just let your giving be what you do. Don't make a show of it to bring attention to yourself. When you pray, just just pray for what you're praying for. Don't don't try to be a spectacle when you pray and when you fast. It's it's the same message found in verse 1. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others to bring attention to yourself. Because when we talk about prayer, prayer really is to cultivate the relationship that we have with God, to deepen it, to know God more. Not to use prayer as a way to show how spiritual you are, right? She says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogue and on the street corner. To be seen by others. That's their their purpose for why they pray. That's hypocrisy. Jesus says, don't be like that. In this church, and in, in, in America today, pretty much, I guess you could say, we're pretty much the opposite of that. You know, you don't find too many people at all trying to make a spectacle of their prayer life, trying to be holier than they are. In fact, Today, because we have the opportunity to be anonymous, when you have given the opportunity to pray, instead of standing forward in the spotlight and and praying, we kind of shrink back into the crowd because we don't like being seen and being the center of attention. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. (laughs) What happens is when, when Jesus speaks to our hearts and the altars are open, we, we don't come forward to kneel down much anymore. And I think that's different. We're not trying to bring attention to ourselves. We're trying to cultivate our relationship with God coming here. So my hope and prayer is that we don't go and do the polar opposite of what Jesus is saying here. That when God speaks to you, and instead of just shrinking back because we don't want to be the center of attention, which we ought not to be, that we heed the word of the Spirit. And if Jesus calls you forward to, to meet him here, then we live in obedience. And that's my hope in that as well, too. And so, Jesus calls us and says, don't show off your righteousness. And we don't do that in the church, as it, as it results in prayer. But dare I say this, that showing off righteousness is alive and well today. It really is. When I was a pastor in Hawaii, I used to do something that showed off my righteousness. Oh, I I, I had Facebook and, and Instagram back then, and I'd love to post about all of the good things that were going on in the life of the church, right? I mean, that's okay, right? So one of the things that we did back in Hawaii that we do here is we did blood drives. We just had one a couple of weeks ago. We collected 28 pints of blood. Praise the Lord for that, right? Each pint can save up to three lives. You do the math, it's phenomenal. And on the blood drive days in Hawaii when we were collecting blood, um, I have a picture of it. I would reach out my arm, get my phone, snap a picture And then I would post it on Facebook or Instagram, and I would say something like this, hey, join us at the Bridge Church, we're donating blood today, please give so lives can be saved. And it all seemed pretty benign, because why not do something like that, right? Invite people to come. No one ever came, it was too late. But at the end of the day, 25 or 30 people would chime in and say, oh Gordon, that's so good. You're saving lives. Praise God. You know, and, and I'd read it. And honestly, it feels good. When when people say, Good job. Thanks for, for doing that. My father was saved because people, somebody donated blood, and, and at the end of the day, you pat yourself on the back. And then you read Matthew chapter six and you wait, hmm. Something just doesn't feel right here. I had a lot of good comments, but it's incongruent with what Jesus teaches. I was doing things to bring attention to myself. And that's the very thing Jesus says, hey, don't do that. Don't be like the hypocrites that stand on the street corner and post things so that everybody can look at me. Don't do that. It's pretty clear. That's one of the reasons why I totally got off of social media because the temptation to self-promote is so easy. And I think that borderlines on sin when we don't obey what Jesus teaches us so clearly. So I'm not on social media because it's so easy to fall into and slip into hypocrisy. And instead of just giving blood for the sake of saving lives, i got to tell everybody in the whole world that I did it. For what? Just do it. For the glory of God. I'm not the center of the universe. Thank God. And that's what I sincerely believe that Jesus teaches way back then and how it beautifully applies to us today. The second illustration Jesus gives he says, don't be like pagans. And this church is where I want to take a deeper dive. Because I think more people cross the line into the do not hear more often than not when we are like the pagans. <laughs> the word pagan here is, is synonymous with Gentile. And what that, that just simply means that, that you're not Jewish and you're not Christian, Right? And uh, and you follow maybe some of the other gods that were worshiped in that day, the Greek gods that were worshiped in that day. And what Jesus does in this passage here is he explains the mentality of the people that worship these other Greek gods. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. They think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask of him. So right here in this passage of scripture, Jesus is giving us a picture of of the worshipers of Greek mythology and what they believed and their culture of prayer. And he does that in contrast to how he's teaching his disciples to pray, and the relationship that these people who worship Greek gods have with the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. The contrast is pretty amazing to see. The contrast between how they worship Greek gods and how we worship our one true God. You see, pagan worshipers prayed based on their belief that the Greek gods that they were praying to had no interest in listening to their prayers. When they prayed, their whole understanding of prayer was, we've got to get the attention of these gods that aren't even interested in listening to us. They don't want to hear from us, so we've got to do it two ways. And the two ways that these pagan worshipers would try to get the attention of their God was was first to flatter them and appease the gods, to to play towards their ego. And so they would call out the name of their God and, and use these incantations to manipulate their God to hear their prayers. I think we understand that when Children do that to their parents. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's how we get our, our, our way. I think some children anyway. Right, Dad. I, I'm looking at who I can I can pick on over here. <laughs> no, but have children? have you ever go to Dad? And, dad, oh, Dad, your beard is looking especially great today. Dad, anybody anybody do that? Mom, oh, Mom, your dress wow, you look fabulous by the way, mom um I'm running a little bit short on gas money. You think I could get a twenty right you 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 flatter and you appease uh, anybody ever do that besides me when I talk to my parents and I'm a little short on but that's what that's what they did when they tried to to flatter because. By doing that, they, they, they felt like they could manipulate their God to hear their prayers with flattering words. And then so that's the first way they would do it. The sec the second thing that they would do, <laughs> they would bombard their God with with so much words and so much prayer, just saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again. The the term that they used was to fatigue their God, just to to pound him into submission (laughs) by praying so much that eventually the gods would say, okay, okay, I get it, here. And then that's another way that pagans, as they prayed, tried to get their prayers across to their God. Do you ever have a friend that's, I'll use the word annoying, right? They come after you. They, they ask you for something and they don't stop and they keep asking you and pretty soon they say, Pastor Gordon, stop it. <laughs> we'll host a family for dish.com. <laughs> right? But that, that one person that's just relentless and they keep coming after you and, and, and asking and asking. Okay, okay, fine. And just, just to appease them, you give into what they ask for. That that was the second plan of these pagans when when, when they prayed. They, they, They were relentless. And it worked for them. That's what they thought, right? They annoy their gods to the place where their gods submitted. Okay, here you go. There's a beautiful Old Testament biblical example of this. Beautiful may not be the right word, but a very precise example in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to First Kings chapter 18. And if you open to First Kings chapter 18, you, you, you might remember the story of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal and Asherah. That that amazing story. Oh, if you if you've never heard that story before, look up First Kings chapter 18, verses 16. Through 40, I'm not going to read it, but just recount and retell this amazing story of, of, of Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And, and it was to see whose God would be listening and whose God was more powerful. And, and the thing was, each side would have to slaughter a bull and pray to call down fire from heaven so that the, 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 the offering would be lit on fire And there were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, 850 to one prophet of God, right? You guys know that story? And the pagans go first. They prepare the bull, put it on the altar, and from early in the morning, they start praying as pagan prayers do. They call the name of their God. They, they, they offer up these incantations with the names of their God on and on. They're babbling. They're praying. They're saying these words over and over and over again all the way till about noontime. Hours go by and no fire, no nothing. And so... Elijah's watching them and uh, and Elijah starts to he starts to taunt them. Biblical trash talking. <laughs> hey, maybe you can pray a little bit louder. <laughs> Your God's probably sleeping, or or maybe he's on vacation, or maybe he's in the bathroom. Just and so these prophets of Baal and Asherah, they start to pray louder. And, and then they start to dance. And then before long, they start to slash themselves to show how how committed they are. And it moves all the way into the evening. Nothing happens. Then Elijah finally says, all right, it's my turn. Get four jars of water and pour all that water on my bull that has been sacrificed on the altar. Do do it again. Pour it again. Do it a third time until the whole place is soaked down and the trenches around it are filled with water. And in two sentences, Elijah prays, Dear God, let it be known today that you are God. And turn the hearts of the people back to you. Fire comes from heaven. The whole altar is lit up. Even the water in the trenches are burning and i share that as an example of what pagan prayer looks like it's it's this frenzy of of people trying to pray to capture the attention of god as opposed to one the one true prophet of god who calls out to his god because he knows his god and his god knows him And so, church, the thing that that, that I want to do as we dig deeper into this journey of prayer in this new year is to help us to understand something. Because last week, for me, that was, I hope, a sermon that that when we look back on this year, as we go throughout the year, and we look back on it, I, I pray that the sermon last Sunday would be a catalyst for the great things that happens through the life of Mission Church as we are devoted to prayer, Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. My fear as I preach that sermon in the back of my head and today as I finish up this part 2 is, is for people to walk out of church thinking, pastor, saying that we got to pray more. And maybe pray louder. (laughs) Or do things more to capture the attention of God so that when we pray, He hears us. What I want to say is this. Some people that don't pray very much, or if you don't pray at all, then yes, you may need to pray more. And that's good. But but that's not the, the, the heart of the message that... I'm trying to get across. It's not a matter of praying more. It's a matter of praying better. The better we pray, the the better we understand what prayer is, and it is the, the, the deep affection that grows in our hearts to know God more to spend time listening. Maybe it is that we have to pray more, and instead of speaking, it's listening. But I, I'm, I'm calling the church to prayer in a way that I don't want you to misunderstand because I don't want you to leave here thinking, we just got to pray more. That's, that's not the heart at all of what I'm trying to say. And what I'm trying to do is to help us to understand who we are praying to. We're praying to God, God, not like the pagan gods who aren't interested in hearing the prayers of the people. We're praying to a God that we call our Father, who dearly loves us and knows everything we're going to pray before we even ask. That's the God that we are praying to. And so... Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, please open your Bibles, turn on your phones, come with me to Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, I said this last week, Teach us to heal these people. Teach us to give sight to the blind. Teach us the way you teach, dear Jesus, so that everyone will listen and their hearts will be changed. They could have asked for any of those things instead. The disciples asked Jesus, I think, the most important thing. Jesus, teach us to pray. And then the Lord does, and he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And and he teaches them this beautiful prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And I want to look deeply into the context of this. Because after Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer, it's curious and it's interesting that the next thing Jesus does is he tells them a parable. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 11. He tells them a parable about prayer. It's the parable of the friend at midnight. And hear this parable that Jesus teaches to his disciples right after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Luke eleven five through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in, and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. And I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. I'm sure for those of you who have read the Bible, this is not the first time you've read it, this uh, parable. And you may have come away from reading that passage the way I would come away from it, thinking about the shameless audacity of the person going, hey, you got three loaves of bread to share with me. Right? And, Get get away. My kids are in bed. at midnight for crying out loud. What are you? I just need three loaves. And he's not going to do it because he's your friend. But because of your shameless audacity, he'll get up and give you the bread. Is that what you guys got from that? Can I tell you a different rendition of what this passage is speaking of? Because this passage seems to suggest the pagan way to pray. The pagan way of shamelessly and audaciously continuing to call out to ask. Kind of like the prophets of Baal, right? To flatter your friend. Hey, you're, you're the best neighbor on this block. <laughs> I need three loaves of bread, you know. And then, any and to annoy them and keep pressing and pressing and pressing. And you go up until the ring camera, hey, it's me, ding dong, you know, and you keep pressing the ring camera bell until finally they get up because they're annoyed and they want you to stop. Nobody in their home can sleep. And they give you three loaves of bread or whatever it is that you ask for, right? That's, that's kind of what it looks like here. But but if we understand this in the context of what Jesus is teaching, it has a totally different message. You see, what we don't understand is in Jewish culture, there is an obligation to host people and to serve people food if they come to you in need. That's an obligation for them. So the friend has... The guy has friends coming in from out of town, and and he's obliged to do it. You understand that? It's an obligation from the culture that they live in. you just got to do it. In Hawaii, we have culture just like that. If you go to a person's home in Hawaii, and you enter their home, they invite you in. You have to take off your shoes or your slippers. Before you enter their home, if you walk into a person's home in Hawaii with your shoes or slippers on, that is very rude. Can I get an amen from the people? From the people from Hawaii. <laughs> right? If, if you're from Hawaii, you know that. Right? So if, if, if you go visit Hawaii and people invite you in, now you know. Take off your shoes or your slippers before you enter the house. That's the culture there. In San Diego, we have our own culture, right? Not about entering someone's home. But when people come to visit, right, we get them Cali burritos. <laughs> I can't see uh, out too well. Where, where's Sai and, and, uh, and Anthony? Where are you guys at? Uh, th- there's two people here visiting from Hawaii, my friends. They attended my church in Hawaii. So if you want to get the real dirt and skinny on Pastor Gordon, <laughs> talk to <Cy>. Sai. <laughs> and Anthony's moving here. So we're excited to have Anthony. And what did we do yesterday? We got Cali burritos, right, from Ortiz's, no less. Nothing but the best. (laughs) That's the culture here. Not everybody does that, but I do. In the days of Jesus, if someone came to your home and they were hungry and they they asked you for help, it's your obligation to give them food and and bring them in. So the friend came to his neighbor, right, and he asks for three loaves of bread. He doesn't ask for Cali burritos. That's hard to make in the middle of the night. Just three loaves of bread. And the neighbor is sleeping. You can picture a small home where the family all sleeps together in one room, right? And his answer is, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And maybe for you and me, this is a totally natural response. But it's not for him. It's not kosher. It's not culturally acceptable for him to reject the request of his neighbor. His culture compels him and obligates him To give. And so if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, and I want you to see, oh, you already got it up there. That's fantastic. There is a little footnote in your Bible in verse 8. And that footnote has a different response to the passage of Scripture. And let me read for you what it says With the footnote added in. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet to preserve his good name, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. He's obligated. This passage is not about the guy standing outside the door knocking, asking for bread, it's not about him. This passage is about the guy inside sleeping with his children and a friend comes to him and knocks on the door and I'm not going to do this for you. I'm not going to give you bread because you're my neighbor and we're friends. I've got to give this to you because I'm obligated to. To preserve my good name, I'll get up and I'll give you some bread if that's what you want. That's what this passage is talking about. So what is Jesus saying now? in light of this new information that we have about what's going on in this passage of Scripture. What is Jesus saying to us? Is, is, it, obviously, it's not go annoy your neighbors to get what you need. Translate it into prayer. Keep babbling like pagans do so you can get your way. Obviously, Jesus said, don't do that. So is this, is this passage telling us then that God is the, the neighbor inside? And so to keep his good name, he's going to give you what you want? Is that what it is? That's not, that's not at all what it is. God doesn't need to do that to keep his good name. Thank the Lord. So what is, what is Jesus teaching us here? What Jesus is trying to teach us here is that we should not shamelessly and audaciously barrage God with our prayers until he relents. He told us not to do that. And God is not the sleeping neighbor who's in his house answering prayer just to preserve his good name. This simple parable has such a beautiful theological message that is so easily misinterpreted that if we don't carefully think about what is saying about God, we we can misunderstand what Jesus is trying to teach us about prayer. The message is this. If a sleepy, selfish neighbor will begrudgingly get himself up only to preserve his good name, how much more our loving Father will respond to all who call upon him. That's what this passage is saying. Our God is not a Greek God that we have to manipulate. He's our Father in heaven. He loves us. He knows what we want even before we ask it of him. And then, the way we know that this is the correct interpretation is, that we keep reading on. So you have your Bibles out, right? He tells this parable about the friend that comes at midnight. And then immediately after that, he gives another teaching. In verse 9, it says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks on the door, the door will be opened. And now listen to this. Which one of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Boom! Does the light go on for you? Do you see now what Jesus is trying to say when he teaches us to pray our Father to know and understand this beautiful relationship that we have with God, that we don't have to keep on babbling like pagans do. That if, if this neighbor who would only do things to preserve his good name, how much more will our Father in Heaven hear our prayers and give us his best, the promised Holy Spirit, for anyone who would ask of him. And if you ask to know God more and to seek God with all your heart, and if you're longing for a deep relationship with God than you already have, this is when God says, of course, yes. I'm not going to give you any less than the best of who I am. When we pray our Father, we are praying to cultivate a deeper, more loving relationship with God. Not just to pray more, to pray deeper, to pray better. When we pray, we don't need to keep on babbling, thinking. The more we pray, the better God hears us. God is not manipulated by how much we pray. Jesus said, don't do that. Instead, Jesus' expectation is that when we pray, to know who you're praying to. (laughs) Our Father in Heaven. The Greek gods, they didn't want to hear the prayers of their people. Our Father in Heaven can't wait till you reach out to Him and want to engage with Him and talk to Him. And hear from him. He's longing for his children to reach out. That's our father. And Jesus teaches us to cultivate a deeper relationship with God. Not just asking him to do things for us. But from time to time asking God. What can I do for you? Here I am, your servant. Speak. I'm listening. When was the last time we got chances to pray those prayers and seek God in that way? Not praying more, but simply praying better. That's our God. And I'm so grateful for that. So today, as we close, I'd like for you all to stand. And let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. And when we say, Our Father, to not just use those two beautiful words as the start of the prayer, like you would <laughs> calling out, you know, two words, that two meaningless words. Let's mean those two words. Understand who you're praying to. And let's pray the Lord's Prayer together.